Welcome! Today we will discuss the Gulag concentration camps and examine Stalin's communist reign in the Soviet Union. To provide you with a bit of context, the Gulag camps were first established in 1919 under Vladimir Lenin. The Gulag camps were forced labor camps, originally designed for criminals and peasant farmers. With the death of Lenin and rise of Stalin, the number of members who entered the camps greatly expanded. Political dissenters, resistant farmers, criminals, religious figures, and people that crossed the wrong paths to Stalin's police force, the NKVD, suddenly became victim to Stalin's camps. In this episode, we will investigate the following inquiry question. To what extent did the Gulag camps assist Joseph Stalin's political reign in the Soviet Union? It's important to study these labor camps and listen to the voices of survivors, as the Gulag camps reflect the political climate of the Soviet Union between the 1920s and 1950s, a time of terror, economic and psychological hardship, and famine. As we will learn, the authoritative system that Stalin established created silence and distrust amongst civilians in Russia. Thankfully, amidst the silence and terror, several voices rose to inform the public of the terrible conditions of the Gulag camps. Tune in as we uncover documents and letters from the past that will transform our understanding of Stalin's political reign. Let's first uncover the, what the Gulag camps were like from the perspectives of prisoners. So you may be wondering, were the conditions of the Gulag camps similar to those of the concentration camps in the Holocaust? Well, as you will see, the Gulag camps were similar to the concentration camps as victims were forced to work and suffer harsh conditions. But it's also important to note that prisoners of the Gulag camps could be released from camp after serving for a period of time. So let's take a look at a letter written by prisoners to the Bolshevik party in 1926. So there were three prisoners, former prisoners of the Slavotsky concentration camps in the Soviet Union, who penned a letter in 1926 in December to the All-Union Communist Party. This letter was not direct, directed to Stalin, but was written during the time of his political reign. So the former prisoners were actually released from the camps on account of illnesses that they had contracted. Their message in the letter is urgent as they desire for the Communist Party to recognize the inhumane treatment they experienced in the camps. They've seen unjust suffering of peasants, and they've noticed that the, the OGPU, whom we can infer are the police authorities, have been acting with violence and lawlessness. So in their letter, the, ris- the prisoners first state that they entered the concentration camp full of energy and good health. Returning, however, they are broken, crippled, and emotionally exhausted. They appeal to the Bolshevik party, asking them to turn their attention to the violence and abuse of seemingly innocent members in the camps. The writers state, People die like flies. All this torment and suffering placed on the proletariat without money, i.e., or in other words, workers who we repeat, were unfortunate to find themselves in the period of hunger and destruction accompanying the events of the October Revolution and who committed crimes only to save themselves and their families from death by starvation. So from the writer's perspectives, it sounds like the October Revolution was a time of hardship and famine, leading people to commit small petty crimes to survive. 
The writers disclose that the prisoners have been treated so unfairly that there have actually been cases of people lined up naked and barefoot by the authorities and kept outside in temperatures below 22 degrees. In all caps, the authors proclaim in their letter, they, or the authorities, force inmates to eat their own feces. The writers call for an examination of the conditions within the Golag camps and constantly repeat that the torment is experienced by lowly or innocent people in society. So these would be the workers and peasants. So though it might seem that the Communist Party is a force behind the Kolak camps, the writers have been informed, as they imply in their letter, that they have heard that there are trustworthy sources of whom they can confide in. And this is why they wrote the letter in the first place. They want action taken against the authority figures or the police who are corrupting the environments at the camps. This letter, however, only begins to unravel the complex issues surrounding the Golak camps. As a whole, we can infer that there is political corruption within the camps, discrimination of lower class peoples, and information that has been controlled and concealed by those with, with power in the camps. So while reading the Bolshevik letter, we wondered, would the Communist Party actually listen to the former prisoners' appeals? Would they be concerned about the proletariat working class prisoners? Let's take a look at the political climate of the Soviet Union in the 20th century. There is evidence to suggest that Stalin's predecessor, Lenin, strongly opposed Kolaks, or working groups of people. Kolaks were wealthy or prosperous farmers who owned land in Russia. In 1918, revolts amongst farmers were not uncommon as the Bolshevik Communist Party had just come into power. They collected the lands of many farmers, which naturally angered farmers and workers who then rebelled against their leadership. On November 11, 1918, Lenin penned a letter to his comrade communists ordering them to violently respond to five territories in which there was a revolt. And within these territories lived Kolaks and peasants. In response, Lenin ordered his comrades to publicly hang at least 100 Kolaks, publish their names publicly, and take away all their grain. Lenin wrote, this needs to be accomplished in such a way that people for hundreds of miles around will see, tremble, know, and scream out, let's choke and strangle those blood-sucking Kolaks. Lenin's strict and bloodthirsty orders suggest that he was not opposed to oppressive forms of leadership, such as those seen in the Golag camps in 1926. From Lenin's letter, we can see that the proletariat, working class, and peasant farmers were not favored by the Bolshevik party. Though the Kolaks acted rebelliously, Lenin responded even more violently by ordering for the death of 100 Kolaks. Lenin seems more concerned about maintaining his power than listening to the voices of suffering people. So, you might be wondering, what does Stalin and his Gulag camps have to do with this? Interestingly, we will learn that Stalin did not favor the Kolak classes either. Let's take a look at a nonfiction novel by former Gulag prisoner Alexander. And Alexander wrote the novel The Gulag Archipelago. Um, and he wrote this book based off of his own experience in the Gulag camps along with the experiences of many survivors. In 1929 to 1930, Alexander notes that the Kolaks were the first massive wave of people to enter the Golag camps under Stalin's authority. Alexander writes, 
like raging beasts, abandoning every concept of humanity, abandoning all humane principles which have evolved through the millennia, the authorities, or the police authorities, began to round up the very best farmers and their families and to drive them stripped of their possessions naked into the northern wastes, into tundra and taiga. Clearly, the Soviet authorities acted brutally and inhumanely towards the Kolaks. The farmers were not hung like the farmers um, in Lenin's orders, but they were stripped of their belongings and forced to labor in frozen lands. In his novel, Alexander Somberly remarks, it was a forced resettlement of a whole people, an ethnic catastrophe. Alexander's account challenges us to go back in time and consider Stalin's political regime. Why was it necessary for Stalin to violently arrest so many Kolaks and strip them of their belongings? Well, according to an article released by the Library of Congress, Stalin launched a Revolution from Above movement in 1927. He set unrealistic goals for the Soviet Union, hoping to see a 250% increase in industrial development. The Gulag camps served as a major proponent of this industrial effort as people within the camps were forced to labor and meet quotas. The Kolaks were one of Stalin's major targets as they owned valuable land. Stalin forcibly removed these people from their lands and kept their agriculture for collectivized farming purposes. Now, the Kolaks either had to work on these farms, the collectivized farms, in industrial workplaces or in gulag camps. The Kolaks were supposed to help boost the Soviet's economy, economy with their labor. Their land was used to provide food for the nation and the political elite. However, this plan actually backfired as the Soviet Union experienced episodes of famine since the farmers could not always work the land that they had previously owned. It's important to note that Kolaks were not the only victims of the Gulag camps or the, other, the only ones who suffered Stalin's abuse. Stalin's camp served as a prison for anyone who posed a threat to the Soviet government. Paranoia and fear were rampant in the Soviet Union during Stalin's reign. Practically anyone could be accused of being an enemy of the Soviet Union. So John Scott, an American worker in the Soviet Union, actually crafted a nonfiction book titled Behind the Urals, an American Worker in Russia's City of Steel to describe the conditions he experienced in the Soviet Union. So this America moved to Russia in hopes of contributing to the new industrial economy. Scott provides readers with a horrifying picture of the NKVD, the secret police system who he observed in Russia. According to Scott's account, arrests were often made at night when people least expected it. He writes, they arrived, usually a sergeant in uniform and two plainclothesmen, in an automobile, knocked at the door, politely presented an order signed by an attorney or by the head of the city, NKVD, authorizing them to search the apartment and arrest a certain person. The door was then locked. No one could come or go during the search. A civilian witness was taken at random from an adjacent apartment. He or she watched the search going on, then was requested to sign a paper stating that that the authorities had not abused their power. That is, they hadn't beaten or stolen anything. The search finished, the polite and completely uncommunicative agents departed with the arrested person. As we can infer, arrests were often subtle and secretive. Witnesses were required to sign a paper to confirm that power is not abused. 
Likely, a witness, however, was not always present in power, was indeed abused. In his chapter on arrests in the Golag Archipelago, Alexander writes, Arrests are distinguished by the degree of surprise required, the amount of resistance expected. Arrests vary widely in form. So in other words, arrests tended to vary depending upon the victim. To support his vast understanding of NKVD arrests, Alexander actually shares the story of a Hungarian woman who was arrested unexpectedly by a man courting her. So in 1926, Irma Mendel invited an interrogator, who she didn't know was an interrogator, to attend a show with her at a theater. After enjoying the show, Irma was promptly escorted to Labanka, the headquarters of the KGB force police police force in Moscow, Russia. So this is actually where spies, political dissenters, and enemies were imprisoned, interrogated, and tortured. We don't know whether Irma was sent to labor camp or prison, but in her case, it's apparent that the NKVD acted stealthily and with secrecy. Anyone could be arrested unexpectedly. So many times, prisoners remained silent. And this often was out of fear, shame, or sorrow. Once in the hands of the NKVD police, prisoners were completely at the mercy of Stalin and his authorities. Any rash actions or words could be used against captives. So oftentimes, this is why we do not always hear about these horrific event arrests that went on because the prisoners were just ashamed or fearful. So, you may be wondering, did people ever raise their voices against the NKVD police in the oppression of the Golag camps? Yes, indeed they did. It's important to note, however, that it was not safe for them to publicly voice the discrimination they experienced in the camps following their release. Even after the death of Stalin in 1953 and the gradual release of prisoners, Forms of labor camps continued to persist in the Soviet Union. In 1982, almost 30 years later, a report on the Soviet forced labor system released by the Central Intelligence Agency in Washington, D.C. wrote, Forced labor is at the core of the Soviet penal system, and we currently estimate that it encompasses some 4 million Soviet citizens in its ranks, at least half of whom are incarcerated incarcerated in over a thousand heavily secured forced labor camps. Today, these penal systems are not as well known or common, but the survivors of the labor camps continue to live and share their tales. Despite Stalin's efforts to improve Russia's industrialization and protect a communist government, his actions were harsh and the treatment of people were cruel. What we can conclude from all of this is that a single political figure and political elite system instilled fear in the hearts of the public, creating a nation built on revolutions, illness, and paranoia, rather than being built on unity, strength, and mutual trust. Thank you for joining us today and for supporting the broadcasting of this podcast. In sum, we hope that all our listeners will leave of the knowledge of a brutal system that should never be repeated again.